this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Well, good morning. Amen to that, Pastor Glenn. And Matt, you're a beast. You take care of the stand, it's great. The water bottle didn't even fall. That's impressive. Man of many talents. Um, so, first of all, always an honor and a great joy to be up here. Every time I get up here, I always think, I can't believe that somebody would actually walk in here to hear what I'm going to say. Um, so, I, I hope I keep that same humbleness forever. Um, but thank the Lord, I'm not talking of my opinions. I'm really going to talk to you through Scripture and help that get unpacked and so forth with all of us. So um, I'm just curious, how many parents we got in here? Uh, grandparents? Okay, awesome, awesome. Praise the Lord for that. Um, so Pastor Glenn and I uh, want to deliver a parenting series to you all. Um, I'm kind of looking at Parenting from, say, college years and before, foundational stuff. Pastor Glenn, next week, will be kind of going college age and what it means to parent adult kids and so forth. So, um, so hopefully you'll learn something from both. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I get asked often as a marriage parenting counselor, uh, as a family pastor, so um, how can I be a better parent? And I always think to myself, the best answer I can give you is, let's go to Scripture. Um, because if I just give you a couple of opinions, they might be good opinions, but if we're, given, we're looking at Scripture, and really I've often thought um, the greatest parent ever is our Heavenly Father, so why not look to Him and what we can learn from Him? So I'm going to throw a couple little kind of one-liners at you, and then we'll dive into Scripture, but it's some things to think about. So as a parent, where do you start? I said Scripture, but I think one of the other things to keep in the back of your mind is you are the greatest disciple makers in your children's home. It is not me. It is not Barb. It is not Alethea and Paul or any of the other leaders we have in student ministry. It is you we are to come alongside of you to kind of reiterate what you're already teaching at home and so forth. So me being an ex-chef and running restaurants, I think about it in a food standpoint. You're building the cake, we're the icing, okay? And the church is to come alongside of you, whether it's if you need help parenting, your children need help or so forth. But it really, it, it is on you. And second of all, you know them better than anyone else. Other than our Heavenly Father, you know your children better than anybody else. Plain and simple. Okay? I can get to know them. I can love them, care for them, and so forth. But you all know them best. And also think about this. So God has entrusted you with those children. They are His children first. Your children second. Sorry for the ladies that had to birth children and birth pains and all that stuff. I'm not trying to take that away from you. Um, and by the way, we, us guys, we did a lot of work, right? I'm just kidding. Um, it's a good way to get thrown off the, off the, uh, off the podium, right? 
No, but, but, but think about it. They are God's children first, right? And we're going to talk about scripturally what that looks like. So it is our job as, as parents to be good stewards of them and our time with them and so forth. So here's your two kind of like little, I just think these are good little nuggets. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Think about that. You don't know this, but you might be raising up the next Billy Graham, the next John Piper, the next whoever. You with me? And one day, they will walk in your shoes, make sure they are pointed in the right direction. They will follow you. They will walk in your shoes. They are absorbed. The part I don't think that we even comprehend is how much our children are absorbing things around them that we don't even realize. So think about that as a parent, okay? So with this idea of Scripture, where do we start? So I'd ask many questions of the staff. I ask questions of my own kids, my wife, other parents. And I think where I land is this. Jesus gives us two commands that we're going to look at in Mark 12. I think that's where we start. So let's turn to Mark 12, 28 through 34. I'll give you a minute to find that, and then we will, we will dive in from there. So if you're interested, if you're a note taker, if you like to write stuff down, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6. We're also going to look at Matthew 12, 28 through 34. We're going to look at 1 John 4, 7 through Five, verse 5, something like that. Um, just some key passages, I think, that are important to all of us. So, Okay, so Mark 12, 28 through 34. One of the scribes approached when he had heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them and uh, answered them well. He asked them, which command is the most important of all? This is him asking Jesus. Jesus' answer is this. The most important is... Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He is referring to Deuteronomy 6. Okay? So he's, he's going back to the Old Testament and saying, this is what's important. And then he says this. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. And then the scribe responds back, and I just think it's, I, I don't know, I, I just think there's a funny answer. You're right. Like, this guy was the authority. You know, he's keeping Jesus in check. You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all of these burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God and no one dare question him any longer. So I believe that as parents, our two funnels, our filters, our directions should be, are we teaching our kids to love God and are we teaching our kids to um, love others? So please don't take me wrong. I'm not saying that our children should not have success. 
But if you're more important whether your child can throw a 72-mile-an-hour curveball or that they become the general manager at Food Lion, those are wonderful things. But our success in our children is really seeing are they loving God and loving others, okay? And I really, as you're thinking this through, and I, I mean this, I'm not trying to ruffle anybody's feathers. I just, my dad used to say, think. Use that thing for more than a hat rack, okay? I'm trying to get you to think. Where are your priorities with your kids? Where's your priority with Scripture? Where's your priority with God? And so forth and so on, okay? So just keep that in the back of your mind. So kind of our theme for Pastor Glenn and I is really this. Prepare our children from the time they are born to the time God takes us home to become and be people who love God and love others. That idea of Proverbs 22, 6, which says, start a youth out on his, on his way. Even when he grows old, he will, not, he will not depart from it. Very, very important. Okay? So I'm going to run through a couple scripture because they match each other. And they reiterate, as I have tried to state uh, in the last two services, I apologize if I'm referring to you as a knucklehead. I'm a knucklehead. But when God reiterates, repeats over and over and over again, he's probably trying to get it through this thick skull right here, and I can only talk of me. So, so Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9. I'm going to start there. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Exactly what Jesus just said. And then again, what Jesus refers to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. I think it's interesting that the word in there instead of on. The idea of in is like, I would say they, they should be submerged into you. Like they, they should be a part of you. And then in verse 7 it says this, repeat them to your children. Truthfully, we need to repeat them to ourselves, right? But repeat them. Talk about them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. I think of the guys swinging the progressive signs around, right? Bind them like a sign on your hand and let them be your symbol on your forehead, right? Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Then in Joshua 2, uh, sorry, Joshua 22, 5, it says, Only carefully obey the command and instruction that Moses, the Lord's servant, gave to you. Again, referring back to Deuteronomy 6, that, that idea of repetition, to love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commands, be loyal to him, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. We are called to love God. We're going to unpack what does it look like to love God? Why do we love him? How are we to love him? And so forth. And we're going to talk about how to love others. But I want to look at one other passage. And this is probably my favorite passage in Scripture. Um, I know it'll probably be something else in two weeks, but that's the way Scripture works too. So 1 Kings 2, 1 through 4. Let me tell you a quick story as you're looking for that. So my father uh, died of renal cell cancer. My dad was on a two-year cancer journey. And about a week before he passed away, before we had to move him to the dove house, he 
we had had this moment that day. He was kind of sharing life with us and actually another pastor friend of mine, a younger guy. And dad, as he started to fall asleep, said to me, he goes, come here, I want to tell you something. And this was the, this is exactly what he said to me. God is my witness. It rattles in my brain all the time. Never think that you have arrived. So what he was saying to me is, be teachable, be humble, never think that you know more than others and so forth. But that is rattled around in my brain. That and take care of your mom. That was the other thing he said. But, but specifically, um, never think that you've arrived. We have something similar here, almost to the T. David's calling for his son Solomon, and he says, verse 2, As for me, I'm going the way of all, uh, going way of all the earth. Be strong, be a man. Keep your obligation to the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. Again, back to what Moses said in Deuteronomy 6. This is written in the law of Moses. So that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. So that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons guard their way to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So again, there's this reiteration. Love God, walk with God, keep his commands, and so forth. I think as parents, we overcomplicate things at times. I think this is, I'm not saying it's simple to carry out, but it's a simple direction. Love God, keep his commands, keep his ordinances, and so forth. So, Let's look at it, what, what, it, what it looks like to love God. So as parents, it starts with you all. If you want your children to love God, it starts with how you love God. In general, I'm not saying it's not impossible, but in general, if you are not exuding that love that you have for God, if you're not demonstrating that to your children, how do you expect them to love God the way you, or the way you love God and so forth? They say in general, psychologically speaking, most of us view God similar to the way we view our, heavenly, our uh, earthly father. In general. I understand there's uh, exceptions to the rule, but in general, so if you had a father step out on you when you were younger... They say in general, and I've seen this in counseling, that you will struggle with the idea that God is trustworthy, that he is faithful, and so forth and so on. So remember that with your filter of your life. Because the Bible tells us differently, okay? So that, that kind of ties to that idea of, of our parenting and so forth. So why should we love God? So this is... If you want to turn, and this is the last big turn I've got for you. So let's turn to 1 John 4. So 1 John 4, 5. We're going to look at verses 7 through 5, 5. And I'm not going to, not going to read the whole thing to you. But I'm trying to give you some things that when you leave here today, you can go home, study yourself. You can dive in. You can kind of come back and go, you know what, I want to walk through this with my spouse. And I want to walk through it with my kids and so forth. So in the CSB, the actual title of this passage is saying, 
Knowing God through love. Knowing God through love. So verse 7 says this, Love comes from God. Only those born of God know how to truly love Him. How, how to truly love. He is the source of that love. And then in verse 8, Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God. Here's my thought for you. If you, if you read through this whole thing, I, I kind of came to this conclusion. How could someone who receives divine life through Jesus Christ, having the dwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us, not, and not love others, let alone love God? How, how is that possible? If we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we see that we really understand that, that love that Christ showed for us on the cross, how does that love not come back out after us? So a person saved by love and indwelled with love must love. We may have trouble loving perfectly, right? No, no argument. We struggle with loving perfectly, but there's a big difference between not loving at all and loving perfectly, not, not loving perfectly. I get it. We're broken, you know, saved by grace. Thank the Lord for that. But we cannot love as the Father has loved us, but we still are called to love, even in, in, even in our struggles and so forth. And verse 19 puts it so simple. We love because he first loves us. That's why we should love God. Okay? Now, how do we do that? John Piper, great uh, pastor and preacher. Um, I, I've always said I think he can say in one or two sentences what it takes me weeks to try to explain to somebody. He says it so succinctly. And that is this. So the essence of what it means to love God is to be satisfied in him. In him, not just his gifts and what he does for you, his blessings and so forth, but in God himself as the glorious person he is. Do you love God that way? I know at times I struggle loving him that way, relying on him and being fully satisfied in him. Just being honest. We struggle with the same stuff everybody else is. You with me? I, I've often said just because I went to seminary doesn't mean I figured it all out. <laughs> I struggle with the same things. The idea of being fully satisfied in him. Uh, somebody once told me, Jesus plus anything is a problem. We should be satisfied in him. So how do we do this? One, we obey his commands. That's what we're learning in Deuteronomy. It's what we also hear in Joshua. It's also what we hear in uh, 1 Kings. Believing his word, John 2, 22. That's another way we can uh, show our love for him. Thanking him, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Philippians 4, 4 says rejoicing in him. Anybody remember rejoicing the Lord always? And again, we say rejoice, right? So that idea of rejoicing in him. I know I just dated myself with some people. I get it. It's all good. That idea of giving him thanksgiving, praise, blessing his name as we see in Psalm 104. So in a nutshell, loving God is admiring and enjoying all he is. It is the enjoyment of God that makes all of our responses truly glorifying to him. Here's your kind of nugget for you. Our happiness is the echo of his excellence. Our satisfied... I had a problem saying that in the first, second service. Anyway, being satisfied is an echo of, our, of his excellence too. So as we fall in love with him, as we 
uh, praise Him and worship Him. It, it, is an excel, it is an echo of His excellence. And then lastly, here's another passage for you, and this is more for you to take home. John 15 talks about abiding in Christ and what that looks like. That's another thing for you to dive into that talks about how we are called to love God. Um, the idea of, of abiding in Him, remaining to the, uh, to the vine, and so forth. And then third, the result of loving God, and we see this in John 4-7 also, and I'm going to give you five quick takeaways. First, we should see our confidence in Him grow. So the result of loving God, it, it, it will grow our confidence in Him. Second, we should see growth in our love for our brothers and sisters. We'll talk about this in a little bit. Third, we should see growth in our obedience to God and His Word, commands, and our walk with Him. Fourth, we should see growth in our victorious lives because Jesus is an overcomer. Because He's an overcomer, we are now overcomers because of His victory and so forth. Again, nothing we have done. And then lastly, pertaining to parenting, we will look different, react different, love differently pertaining to our children if we teach and live this out with our children. And we must remember our children, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, the idea that they are image bearers. We're going to talk about that. So here's a couple questions for you to be thinking about when you leave here today. Is God Lord in your life? Do you have a deep, intimate relationship with Him? Do you love Him wholeheartedly? And then lastly, what, what is keeping you from doing this? If you've got struggles, hang-ups, hurts, pains, would love to talk to you and help you through those. All of us, the idea of Deuteronomy 7, we need to be all in, heart, soul, strength, and so forth. So here's some application for you parents, some things that maybe you can take away and so forth. So how are we supposed to teach our kids this? One is to be intentional. So Deuteronomy 6, in there it says that idea of when you're at home, walking with them, doing life with them. It's one thing, and please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you shouldn't do a Bible study with your children, but you're not going to line your kids up on the front row and pound them for two hours on Scripture. That's not going to work. I, I, can, I can pretty much promise you that. What's going to work is you doing life with them, talking, you know, like you're out cutting wood, and the idea of, you know, you're like, oh, I'm feeling sore. Well, why do you feel that way? Because in Genesis... One, two, and three, it says, you know, we've got to till and things like that, and we're going to feel um, it's going to be hard. Thorns and thistles, and I said thistles, that's pretty good. Um, it's that kind of stuff, and sharing Scripture with them so they understand. So bringing God and His Word into the natural topic of conversation. Be intentional. Being present is different than being intentional. Being present means you're in the room. Being intentional means while you're in the room, you're going to do something to lead them back to the cross. Okay? Prayer. Prayer is a big piece. Whether you're praying with them, whether you're asking them to pray, prayer is a huge piece. Have them pray. I believe having some prayer before meals is a great way to start that off with kids. Have the kids say grace or 
you know, something to that effect. That idea of praying with them in the morning. I try to do it when I bring uh, one of my daughters to uh, cosmetology four days out of the week. I drop her off and I come here. And the first thing we do is we pray. And she says she's starting to get in the habit of praying to start her morning and so forth. It's that kind of stuff. It's one thing to teach a kid about prayer. It's another thing to do it with them. I, I can't stress that enough. Okay? Share victories with them. Talk about your life, how God has been faithful even at times. I shared with my kids how I've not always been faithful to God, but he's been faithful with me. Share how God loved you despite yourself and your failures. Your kids need to understand that even though they fail, it does not mean our Heavenly Father loves them any less. Make your love for God contagious. And one of the ways you can do that is by worshiping God at home. There's plenty of stuff on YouTube. Throw some music up. You know, show them, show them what it looks like to worship and so forth. And then lastly, make sure you create a home that they can ask you questions. And I can promise you, anybody that's a parent will tell you, my kids have asked me big questions. God, I mean, Dad, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why did Grandma die? Why did my granddad die from cancer? That kind of stuff. Okay? Here's what I can't stress enough. This is, as they say, this is where I can get really preachy. If you don't answer those questions, the world will. There is this battle between what we're trying to teach our kids and what the world's trying to teach our kids. If you don't answer those questions, and I'm talking the big topics... They come to you with, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? They're asking you things about sexuality, all that stuff. If you're not answering that stuff and taking them into Scripture and loving them through it, they will find their answers somewhere else. And if you don't believe me, go on YouTube and put in those questions or go to Google and put in those questions and see what the world, how the world answers those questions. I cannot stress that enough, Okay? So that's loving God. That's, that's some practical ways for you to, you to love God and for you to teach your kids to love God. So how, do, how are we going to love others? So let's look at, I'm going to look at roughly three things. Your children are image bearers. Your children have heart issues just like yourself. And we need to be full of gracie and mer- grace, grace and mercy. I said gracie. Grace and mercy. And uh, through the gospel. So let's, let's talk about what does it mean that your child is an image bearer? So you got to remember, they're God's first, you're second. You're to be stewards of them and their time and so forth. Psalm 139.13 teaches us that all people, people are fearfully and wonderfully made. Genesis 1.27 says that we are made in God's image. And Psalm 145.9 says that God cares for all people. These biblical truths, these biblical truths that I just said, we need to teach our children so it helps mold their idea and thoughts of who they are. So in Romans 8.29, it says that God is conforming us and our children, us and our children, to look like Christ. He's not conforming us for us to conform our children, he is conforming both of us. We're on this journey. And I can't say this enough. These verses hold biblical truth 
But if you're only teaching them and not living it out with your kids, that's where the struggle starts to happen. That's where the gap starts to get bigger. It starts with us seeing our children as image bearers for Christ. Now, your kids have a heart issue. Can we all agree that we have ourselves, we have our own heart issue, okay? Just like our children, we have a heart issue. God is concerned with the heart as we see in Proverbs 4.23 and Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is, a, is deceitful above all other things, okay? The mistake that we make as parents is we tend to, fa- tend, uh, we tend to focus on the external behavior rather than the internal overflow of the heart. We tend to worry about the what of behavior than the why. And I can honestly say I've spent a crazy amount of time and energy trying to control my kids' behavior at times. That's the mistake we make. We're trying to control their behavior instead of diving into the heart with them and finding out what the heart issue is. See, we put up these gates and fences and all these things to kind of control their behavior, and that's just not the way it's going to work. We miss the idea that there's a heart issue going on. Romans 1 says we are all worshipers. We either worship and serve God, or we, or we make an exchange and worship and serve substitutes for God. Very, very important to understand. Our children are doing the same thing. Ted Tripp says in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, recommend that book if anybody's interested. He talks a lot about the idol of, of the heart. He says this, uh, they are, our children are no different than us. They're either worshiping and serving something, either God or a substitute for God. If the focus of our parenting is securing appropriate behavior, we will never help our children understand how they are wired and that eternal things that are going on like self-love, rebellion, anger, bitterness, envy, pride of the heart. When our kids are going through that, we need to be gracious. We need to show them grace as Christ shows us. I've often said I thank God that he does not (laughs) parent me the way I have parented my kids at times. He is much more gracious, gracious and merciful. So we have to remember to teach our kids that the one true object of worship is the God of the Bible. Okay. Now, grace, mercy, and and gospel framework. So our last kind of piece of how to love others. So we've gotten this conversation in staff. Um, I went home and took it to my kids. I was like, so have you guys ever thought about this? So what really is the difference between grace and mercy? And I'm going to apply that definition to our children, and that is this. Grace is giving our kids something they didn't deserve, right? Our salvation. Didn't deserve it, didn't earn it, can't earn it, can't work towards it. It is given as a loving gift to us. Mercy is not giving our children something they deserve. (laughs) When I was trying to teach this to my kids, one of the kids went, like if Will wrecked his car, right? And I was like, hold on now. So, Dad, you would, you would probably fly off the handle. I'm like, no, I wouldn't fly off the handle, but I would definitely be like, oh my gosh, he wrecked his car. But the idea of how, how is it that we show mercy, that we, we don't give our kids something that they deserve and so forth. We are called to love our children very similar to the way our Heavenly Father has shown us. And the best way to think about that is through the gospel. Okay? 
Christ died on the cross, rose again. Think about just that thought of him giving the humble servant, giving everything he had, right? And that, that picture is the way we are to be gospel-centered parents. What if we parented through the gospel? What if we said things like, no matter what you have done, son, I will always love you. Good grades, bad grades, it doesn't matter. Okay? Again, life-changing parenting. Are we trying to raise children who don't sin, or are we trying to raise children who love Jesus? Think about it. Are we trying to raise children who don't sin, or are we trying to uh, raise children that love Jesus? Very, very important. So here's some practical application for my parents out there. You need to show your children that you love them, not just tell them. Love's an action word. Said it, I've probably said it 50 times a day. It is an action word, okay? Now, I'm preaching to myself here, so don't take it personally. Turn off your phones, leave work, put something else aside, do whatever it takes to be intentional spending time with your children. My 19-year-old Jacob, uh, it was, he was in the last service, but he out of the blue said, hey, Dad, you want to go to breakfast on Saturday morning? Well, first of all, I went, what time do you want to go to breakfast? Because breakfast to me is at 7, breakfast to you is at 11 o'clock. And he said, how about if we go at 9? You're going to get up at 9 to have breakfast with your old man. He said, I would love to. Okay? We went and had breakfast. Went to Bulgers. By the way, just a little plug for Bulgers. Um, talk about social distancing there. They removed table. It's pretty nice. They've done a great job. But anyway, and I thought to myself, what does he want to talk about? Like, why would he want to go have breakfast with me? Well, he's getting ready to move away to college. He's done two years at Carroll. He's getting ready to graduate, and he's going to move to uh, Bluefield College down in um, either Virginia, West Virginia. He just wanted to talk about life. Yay, right? Yay. It was so good talking to him. Two hours in the car having breakfast. And I was like, before we left, I was like, Lord, help me to make this time be intentional. So we talked about dating and what does that look like when you're away from home and all these kinds of things. And, and I mean this, praise the Lord. My kids have really turned out great despite me. Um, we'll say Michelle gets all the credit. We'll, we'll leave it that way. But to be intentional, and I know you know this as parents, man, those are the best times, Right? Let's make sure we are intentional in that way. So again, remove the distraction, folks. They're not that important. What's more important is being intentional with your kids. Serve. Serve with your kids. Whether it's serving, <coughs> excuse me, whether it's serving a church family or whether it's serving people outside of here, serve with them. Very, very important. You want your kids to go on missions? You go on missions. Take them with you, okay? James 1.19 says, I'm going to add the parent part. As parents, we need to be slow to speak. Okay? Slow to speak. And when we don't speak well, we need to be repentive to our kids. One of the greatest things, you want your kids to ask for forgiveness be re and, and repent, you do it in front of them to them. Will and Jake, I screwed up. I apologize. 
I did X, Y, and Z. Would you give me your forgiveness and so forth? Okay? But serve. Serve with them. Bottom line, if you want your children to love those inside and outside the church, church, teach them how much God loves them. Show them how much you love them. And take them when you serve others to show your love for others and so forth. So in closing, I want to, I want to give you kind of a quick little summary of what we've kind of talked about. I'm going to give the staff credit for this because we were talking about this at lunch the other day. Roughly, I believe there's three categories of how to raise children up to be Christ followers. First, drop them off at church. (laughs) That's the way a lot of people do it. I'm going to talk to you about which works best in a second. But drop them off at church, let the church handle it. Second is teaching your children the Bible, but specifically teaching them the rules of the Bible. So for instance, you lied to me, it says you're not supposed to lie, boom, hammer comes down. Or teaching them to love God and love others. Now, I think there's a little bit of each one, but the big one is loving, teaching them to love God and love others. Here's how this comes into play. How this conversation came about is, if you look <clears throat> at most studies about children carrying their faith on, leaving the house, finding a new church, and so forth, making, as I say, making their parents' faith their own faith, in general, how it normally happens is children that are brought up in a home that loves God and loves others, they tend to stay closer to their faith when they leave. When you make the Bible a book of rules, man, a lot of times they get out of the house and they're like, woohoo, it's time to go crazy. So we have to be careful of that. So think about it. Yes, we need to teach them the Bible, but we need to teach them the Bible about a loving God and a God that cares for them, about them being image bearers and so forth. Very, very important. So, so important to... to carry that through for them. Most of the people that I've seen, honestly, most of the people that I've seen, whether it's in counseling or in family ministry and so forth, those that love God tend to stay stronger in the faith when they leave, making the right decisions and so forth. So here's your gospel response. Two things. One of the most important callings God has given parents is to display the greatness, goodness, and glory of the God for whom they are made. Don't leave here thinking that you're going to take this and teach it to them in a week. You didn't learn in a week. Don't expect your kids to. Bits and pieces, folks. Bits and pieces. The story I love to tell about is my mom hammered us in a good way. Ephesians 4, the idea of don't let let your anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let Satan get a foothold. I remember one time we were battling it out, me as a teenager. I'm looking at you, Alethea. I'm sure you probably had a few of these battles with your, your kids too, right? Battling it out with my mom. My mom said, you're not going to bed. What do you mean I'm not going to bed? We're not going to bed till we hammer that out. Now, she took it literally. But it stuck with me. That biblical truth has stuck with me because I really do believe that when you let your anger keep going, Satan will get a foothold, and man, he will grab on, and then your pride takes over, and so forth. So a biblical truth that my mom taught me 
and then lived out. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. So, so very important. And then lastly, here's your other gospel response. As a parent, the greatest thing you can do for yourselves and your children is believing the gospel, living that out in your home. Make your home a haven. Make it a place where your kids feel like they can be vulnerable, they can share their sin, they can share their brokenness, and not be condemned by it. Now, when my kids were sitting over here in the middle service, I looked at them and said, that doesn't mean that you're still not responsible for your actions. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, are you at your home with open arms welcoming the sinner home or are you standing outside with a shotgun? Right? Okay? Very, very important. Extend that grace and mercy to your children. And I would say to you, one of the greatest ways you can teach them is if there's somebody in your life that you're struggling with outside of the home, tell your kids, maybe not specifically what it is, but say, I'm struggling with Pastor Glenn. Pray for me, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to extend grace and mercy to him because I want to restore that friendship. And then tell them how God made that happen. What a beautiful way of showing them how to, how to share mercy and, gospel, and, and grace. So remember, it starts with you and your relationship with God. God first, then you can show your kids how to love God and others. Let that be, as I like to call it, your filter for raising your children. Let us pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and just thank you again, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sustaining me and giving me that strength, Lord, uh, today. And thank you for um, just your guidance in all of this, Father. Father, I thank you that even as parents in our brokenness and our failures, that you are waiting for us to come back to you with loving arms, for you to care for us and show your love and your compassion for us, Father. Father, I just want to lift up this church in general. May we be gospel-centered parents. Would we be parents that extend grace and mercy to our children, Father, that we, that right now, I think about the idea of would we be ones that are just growing the next generation and generation and generation of people that will just, um, you will use for your kingdom and trans transform this county and this state and this country, Father. Thank you, Father. We love you. Father, thank you for what your son did on the cross for us. May we never take that for granted. In your holy, precious name, amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.